Hello and welcome everybody to episode six of the second series of the Nature Friendly Farming Network podcast with me, Ben Eagle. And me, Will Evans. And today I am back on home turf. It's the worst leg of our tour around the British Isles. And Ben and I are thrilled to be speaking to Gethin Owen, who farms 150 acres at Betus and Rose, two miles inland from the middle of the North Wales coast between Abigail and Colwyn Bay. Gethin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Can you tell us and the listeners about your business, first of all, and perhaps give us some of the historical context as well? Because you were milking cows until 2002, weren't you? We farm about 150 acres, um, just off overlooking the North Wales coast, halfway along the North Wales coast. Quite a nice view from um, where we live. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a lovely view, but um, cops all the northerly northerly gales. So um, yeah, it's it's got its it's got its pros and cons. How can I describe the farm? Yeah, it's 150 odd acres. Uh, we own uh, 125 and then rent uh, about 25 from from um, a neighbour. It's kind of undulating, kind of ground, varies from kind of being on rocky clay to shale, really. Um, mm-hmm. Goes up from 250 feet to 800 feet. Yeah, so as, as he said, we, yeah, we used to milk cows until 2002. Um, so to give you some kind of history, it's quite an interesting timeline, really. No, great-great-granddad bought the farm in 1903, I think. So his, my great-granddad was here, and then my great-granddad went off and bought a neighbouring farm, and that leaving his son here. And then his son, so my great-uncle, was involved in a, in a nasty accident, by the sounds of it, um, from family history, involving uh, being run over with a, track, uh, with a tractor with lugged, you know, the old-fashioned lugged wheels, um, yeah, which, crushed. well, killed him, basically, um, yes. eventually. So, yeah, so they ended up um, selling the farm and then in 1942 and then the farm was bought by a a fruit and veg wholesaler from Liverpool. Okay. And then with no intention of farming, farming the place. um, So he bought the place from my great granddad and then he was looking, he was looking for a tenant. And then just coincidence, my grandmother had just married um my granddad and they were looking for a, a farm to, huh. to rent so yeah so grandmother and grandfather came here as tenants and, uh, <laughs> um, um the landlord died and then dad got to buy the place back as a, oh, uh, a story That's yeah. Awesome. yeah and then um through this kind of the 70s and 80s with all the grant schemes that were going on at the time dad you know he he put put up you know silage shed cubicle shed milking parlor um yeah so by 2002 we were milking kind of 50 cows a flock of 300 sheep yeah i left uni in 97 um and then after uni i went off to america to work on a dairy farm there with for a year all with all the mod cons um and then after coming home you kind of realise, hang on, we need, you know, all these sheds and facilities built in 1970. You know, they're not fit for purpose, basically. So at the time, milk prices were pretty ropey. Um, Quotas still had, milk quotas still had some value. So, yeah, we decided, right, we'll sell the cows and 
Um, and then, yeah, I kind of start, started working off farm and, um, you know, ended up working off farm full time, really. Turn towards nature and wildlife. I mean, have you always had an interest in nature and wildlife? Yeah, I mean, thinking back as, as, a, as a small child, you know, as kind of six, seven years old, um, I remember being fascinated by um, birds, especially. And I remember at the time in primary school, you know, the curriculum wasn't as, you know, as kind of more relaxed than what it is now. So you're kind of left to, to your own devices more, I'd say, you know, back in the day. And um, I remember in, in, in school, you had a load of books about birds, you know, birds, farmland birds. And I remember, you know, I spent, used to spend hours and hours just browsing through, through these books. Mm. Yeah. And then spending kind of a lot of time just wandering around the farm with a, with a pair of binoculars, just looking to see if I could, if I could spot these birds myself. I joined the YOC, which was, you know, the Young Orthonologist Club okay. when I was about nine or 10. Yeah. I used to spend Saturdays going out with them various places along north you know across north wales looking at birds hmm. yeah so yeah the interest has always been there yeah um and the fascination really so since uh 2017 you've been in the glastier advanced scheme um what does that involve and tell us about some of the conservation work that you've done on the farm yeah we started in uh, on, on glastier advanced in 2017 but really it all started off in 2008 we got onto tier goval the predecessor hmm its predecessor in 2008 um so there's a gap of i can't remember was it three or four years in between that we weren't in any agri-environment scheme yeah we started off with uh, rebuilding some stone walls and then um planting some trees but i'd say that the, the main things we've done kind of focusing on the hedges yeah and um, restoring the hedges but, you know that's been so we've done about a mile and a half over the years you know in in bit so until you start working on on hedges and starting on a on a restoration project, you re, you, know, you don't realise such a bad condition hedges are. Um, mm. You know, hedges do need attention. Yeah. Obviously, I suppose yeah, it's it's just years of neglect, years of sheep nibbling at the base, you know, the bottoms, and, and years of flail. Your flail hedge trimmers, I suppose, you know, takes its toll. Yeah. Yeah. So ended up, you know, kind of coppiced, double fenced and planted in the gaps, you know, for yeah. um, most of the hedges on the farm. Um, then, the, then the other thing, main thing that's made the biggest difference is, um, yeah, we, we took the, um, grow, the, the option to, to grow spring cereals. So, uh, and then leaving the stubble over winter. Yeah, so we started off mostly spring barley, but since we kind of last few years, we um, stuck with um, spring oats, to be honest with you. Okay, so so what kind of since you've been enhancing the hedges and since you've done that work, have you has there been a a visible improvement in in the amount of animals and birds you've seen on the farm and noticed on a daily basis? With hedges, it's the connectivity. I'd say, mm. um, you know, you, you see, you know, you see the birds, kind of, well, yeah, they're using it as a as you know to get from one place to another, aren't they? Yeah, so you know between the birds and the bees. Yeah, you do. There is a big difference, isn't there? Um, yeah, does does make a difference? Yeah, 
Yeah, I didn't expect to be talking about the birds and the bees on this podcast. Just <laughs> <laughs> the kids out here. <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> and in terms of um, in terms of your ambitions, Gethin, but both for uh, for wildlife, but also I suppose for the wider business, um, where where are you heading? Where would you like to head? Well, I'd say my ambition is, you know, it's 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 all about reducing costs, trying to be as self sufficient as I can. Um, you know, I, I hate to spend money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I just love spending money. <laughs> you know, if you want to need a machine to, if you need to buy a machine to do anything these days, it's uh, you know, it's an absolute cost, an absolute fortune. Yeah. You know, yes. it's 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 frightening. <laughs> um, and you know, buying machines, you know, buying a machine to do a job, it's it's becoming slowly prohibitive to 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 how we operate it. You know. Mm. Um, you know, we become more reliant on con- contractors to do to do everything because you know there's no point buying mm. an expensive piece of kit that's just gonna you know um, you need a, a big HP to you know, take out a big HP to to buy it and it sits in the shed most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So try and operate with as little you know in in the way of machinery as possible and mm-hmm. little in the way of inputs. Um, you know, every time a lorry turns up on the yard with a load of straw or a load of feed or whatever, you know, all costs money and erodes the bottom line. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, I'd say my ambition is to be kind of 100% self-sufficient. I mean, I've still got a long way to go, but yeah. um, I'd say the biggest killer, you know, of being on a, on a kind of a wet, farm is you know keep a cattle over winter yeah it's um you know keeping cows inside over winter it's 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 expensive mm. um so try and shorten that time that they're inside and you know bring the the, the external input uh, you know the other input make it as, as, as little as yeah. possible basically yeah just to just to go back slightly you mentioned um the fact you're growing more spring crops um, and it's something that, that that's been talked about a lot now. Um, you, you notice these conversations happening a lot in farming industry about leaving um, winter stubbles and the benefits that can bring. What are the benefits that you've seen on your farm? I, I say it's it's huge. It's amazing. We haven't grown any cereals on the farm, so mm-hmm. I, I I you know I never remember growing any, any corn on the farm. It's just amazing. You're creating this habitat all year round. Found it amazing the the the, the bird life that the winter stubble supports over winter. You know, I'd say the ten or fifteen acres of of um, spring oats that we grow. Mm-hmm. It's um, well, yeah, I, I'd go as far as saying that it supports more kind of bird life, you know, Fantastic. than the rest of the farm combined. Wow, um, it's something that everybody used to do in the past. Yeah, you know, and it's a shame that you know when it comes to helping nature. You know, when you're in a grassland-based area, um, you know it's a shame that more of it can't be done. Really, some red clover. I know you're growing some of that. What what benefits have you seen there? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of red clover, um, and it just baffles me why more of it isn't grown. Mm. Um, you have a year of of oats, you know, and then reseed the following year, and have three or four years of um, red clover. Yeah, so. I mean, it's a red clover. I, I think of it as a it's a kind of a win 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 mm. situation crop. Um, I mean, first of all, 
you know, it, it's a, it's an amazing feed. Um, you know, it's high protein, 20, uh-huh. 20, 22% protein, very digestible. Um, you know, it's amazing how things fatten up on, on red clover. I mean, red clover stubble. Um, you know, so we take two, two, sorry, aftermath. So we take two cuts of, um, silage and then, uh, turn weaned lambs onto the aftermath and, um, you know, they just grow like mushrooms once, once they're on the, once they're on, on the aftermath. So yeah, there's the, the, the feed side kind of drought resistant, you know, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what the weather throws at us type of season we have, mm-hmm. um, it just grows regardless. Does the world a good, to, to soil structure, I suppose, you know, yeah. those deep tap roots. Obviously, doesn't use any fertilizer as, as long as you keep, you know, mucking it or keeping the potash levels up. Um, fixes two hundred odd kilos of nitrogen per hectare per year, doesn't it? Which is, um, you know, when you put that in terms of, um, you know, the, the, how much that would cost to bring in in the form of a fertilizer in the bag, yeah. it, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, smothers weeds. And then, yeah, for, for, for nature, you've got those big red, you know, field full, full of big red flowers and the, yeah. you know just hums with insects and bumblebees um so yeah obviously it's you know you can see it, it does a world of good to you know to, to nature providing food mm. and a home for for insects especially um, yeah so yeah i think it's 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 an amazing crop and um yeah it, it is weird why mm. more of it is mm. grown is there anybody who's particularly inspired you um to run things the way you do Kind of in the early days, it was Nick Lampkin. I read his book on organic farming. Yeah. Um, it's quite a mighty book. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. It's It's about that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like... Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that was kind of 15 years ago. You read it and it's kind of road to Damascus kind of moment yeah. when, you, when you read it it's everything seems to make sense and fall into place and you know you start questioning yourself you know the the the, the, the kind of the status quo the way we're told to do things you know isn't necessarily the right thing to do mm. um yeah and yeah, I remember reading it and just thinking hang on this you know this all makes sense yeah so so that was kind of a bit of an inspiration I'd say I suppose another inspiration people like Joel Salatin another so, guy with great hats yeah, yeah, that's it. Great cowboy hats, yeah. They've all got good hats. They do. They? Yeah. The, Rege- think... the Regen and Organic Sector have yeah. much better hats. <laughs> yeah, and when you make yeah. them American as well, it's even more so. Yeah. yeah. It's, you, can't, you can't pull it off the same over here, I don't think. Because no, people just no. laugh at you if you wear a mad hat in the UK. Yeah, yeah, that's but, it. You would, you would. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> it was... Um, Reading um, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma that I first came across him. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought it sounds fascinating. And then, you know, you, you look him up on YouTube and the, the system that he runs on the farm, it's, you know, it sounds fascinating that you know, basically it's it's mimicking nature to, to, to kind of restore and regenerate a rundown farm. So in this series, we're focusing on climate um, and how nature friendly farming can help to tackle the climate crisis. Um, how do you think you'll be impacted um, as the climate changes in your part of the world? Yeah, I'd say, you know, winter storms and wet winters and summers, actually. Well, it's, it's always a challenge in northwest Wales, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, to have yeah. even wetter winters, it is something that we're you know, seriously having to, to, to consider. And, you know, probably the way that we use land 
you know, uh, that we, we do use, need to be using farmland to be, you know, in one way or another to be mitigating the effects of, you know, of flooding. There seems to be a big flood event every, every, every winter. Yeah, nowadays, isn't it? You know, it does. not just North Wales, but across the country. I, I, I'm all in favour of you trying to keep keep water in North West Wales. Well, so yeah. It so it doesn't <laughs> run down into North East Wales. That's it, exactly, exactly. <laughs> More yeah. of that sort of thing, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you see, you see the effect down on, on in your part of the world with a with a D. Is yeah. it? Yeah, D it's coming D. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as well as wet winters, yeah, we do have do have the dry spells as well, don't we? Like 2018, mm. yeah, it was didn't rain basically from was it March till July? Yeah, yeah, nobody had any grass basically till August. So we lost two cuts silage. Yeah, you know, shows you that if you have you know, have a have a if they're going to be more common. Yeah, yeah, you need to be growing a more resilient crop. You know, like you know red clover. So 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 with that in mind. Mm. You know, you've just mentioned the red clover there, but is there anything um, that you're consciously doing to make yourself more climate resilient moving forward? Yeah, things like going red clover, it's something that I've done not thinking about climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've done it, but in actual fact, yeah, it, it does yeah. make you more resilient to, to, to climate climate change. The way we graze, yeah, do that a bit differently. It's been shown, isn't it, that mob grazing or rotational grazing you do grow more grass in, you know, in, in drier or wetter conditions. You know, uh, you do improve soil structure and the drainage and the water holding capacity of the soil. Yeah, and then you know, planting trees. You, know, you could do with planting more trees. You know, put the right tree in the right place. Kind of benefit that my own farm and the wider kind of mm. landscape and and Bangrondi. <laughs> yeah. yes yes please um, <laughs> yeah. so so how um did you get involved with the nature friendly farming network yeah in 2011 we won the nature um nature farming award the welsh nature farming award okay and then um after you know subsequent subsequent to that you know after after winning that you know you had the opportunity to you know do some talk and then yeah, it was through that group of people that you that you um, I met, you know, the 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 other farmers, you know, it, it, doing the same kind of thing uh, with the same kind of mentality. Um, it was it was through that, and yeah, then was it late two thousand seventeen, early twenty eighteen? Yeah, Martin Lines, you know, he, mm -hmm. he 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 kicked everything off, and then um, yeah, got invited to to be a part of the Welsh. Well, steering group and um yeah it all stems from from that really brilliant well before we let you go uh we ask every guest to name their favorite species that they see on their farm um whether it be plant bird or uh, another animal of some kind um what is yours i'd say my favorite species on the farm is um the skylark um yeah it's iconic yeah yeah it's yeah because since we have, you know started growing corn and um, having the winter stubble um you know it's it's lovely when you're walking through a, a stubble field to have a you know a flock of skylarks yeah flying up in front of you you know and singing away high up in the sky yeah um and yeah it makes the place a very idyllic idyllic place to be 
Um, so yeah, I'd say for Skylark. I, lo- I love Skylark song. It's one of my favourite bird songs. It's so well yeah. as you, as you've just said, it's iconic, isn't it, Ben? Fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, that is all we have time for. Um, but Gethin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast um, and for telling us all about your part of the world and your business. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. And thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you're enjoying hearing from nature-friendly farmers from across the UK as much as we are. There's still a lot more to come in this series, though. Next time, we are heading up to Scotland to speak to Michael Clark, and then we'll be finishing this series with a conversation with Anthony Kerwin in England. As you know, the podcast is out every other Wednesday. But until the next time, stay safe, and we hope to see you all next time.